Romans chapter 3, verses 27 through 31. That's going to be page 941 in those blue Bibles, if you're using one of those. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to ask you to answer this, but in your mind, do you know who Martin Luther is? Are you familiar, are you familiar with this man? You should be. As a Christian, you should be familiar with him. We're, we invest our minds and our time into a lot of things. And, you know, if I asked you, do you know who Miley Cyrus is? Probably everybody in here knows who she is, unfortunately, and, and many of the things going on in her life. But it would be better for you to turn the TV off and stop cruising the internet and trying to catch up with all pop culture. It would be better for you not to do those things and maybe invest the time into some historical figures, some very important historical figures, such as a man as Martin Luther. So I'll just say that. We don't have time. I'm not going to give a history lesson right now. But he is critical. Him and some other men in his day, in the 16th century. Martin Luther was credited or is credited with sparking the Protestant Reformation which is primarily why we're here today, a break from the Catholic Church he made for some important reasons. He didn't set out to do that. He actually was a Catholic, and he saw some issues, some serious issues, distortions, if you will, within the Catholic Church that had come about when men have no accountability and become all-powerful, they think. So he wanted to reform the Catholic Church. He didn't want to abandon it. They were unwilling. They put him out. And from that, the Protestant Reformation, a protest to what they had done, Protestant protest, and a Reformation began, and out of that came many Christian denominations. Anyway, after he was kicked out and he was translating the, the book of Romans from its original language, which is Greek. He was translating it into the modern common language for him and his people, which was German. When he got to verse 28 of Romans chapter 3, that's where we are this morning, when he got there and he was translating this, he translated it this way. I'm going to give it to you in English, obviously. So we hold that a person is justified without works of the law, through faith alone. Alone. Now listen, you can look at your text. Look at your text. Romans chapter 3, verse 28. Do you see the word alone there? You don't. He was criticized severely by the Roman Catholic Church for adding the word alone because it's not there in the original Greek text. And Luther absolutely refused to remove it. In fact, he had some pretty harsh words for the popes and councils and all of this who went after him. Now, it is true that the word is not there. It's not there in the Greek, and therefore, to be most accurate as a translation, Luther should not have inserted it into his translation. But beloved... <laughs> The reason he put it there 
is because it is absolutely true that there is no doubt that is, that is exactly what Paul meant by what he was saying, by what he was communicating there, that people, sinners, are justified. They are pronounced righteous. We've been talking about that word, right? They are declared right with God. They are given a righteous status that God accepts, and they are given that status through faith alone. Alone. Through faith alone in Jesus Christ. In other words, beloved, it is not faith plus something else. Okay? Like good works or law-keeping or anything else that you can come up with, that we are justified before God. But rather, it is faith plus nothing else that justifies us with God. It is faith alone. And beloved, this doctrine, this doctrine of justification, this teaching of justification by faith alone as it has become known, and what Luther was trying to communicate when he translated this text, it is foundational to Christianity. It is foundational to Christianity. Just so you're aware, the Catholic Church would reject this doctrine. They reject it. Unfortunately. In the Scriptures, we see Paul, God's apostle, God's appointed, authorized messenger, repeatedly teaching this doctrine and defending it against the many attacks that came against it. Specifically, usually, typically at that time, by the Jews of his day. Beloved, this doctrine is so important because to forsake this doctrine, to do away with it, to set it aside, is really to forsake Christianity altogether. It really is. That's how big this is. It is to forsake the true gospel. It is to go to another gospel, as Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 1. I am shocked that you have deserted the true gospel for another gospel. That is exactly what he is talking about. That they are giving up on the idea of justification by faith alone, and they are saying, justified by faith plus this, plus law-keeping, plus circumcision, plus something. And Paul says, it's plus nothing. It's plus nothing. There is no other gospel. There's only one. I cannot believe you are deserting the true gospel. That's what he's talking about in Galatians. And so here in Romans, as he's expanding upon the gospel, he's going to talk about justification by faith alone. Here at the end of chapter 3, Paul's been talking about it, but he's going to come back to this doctrine again, and he's going to continue to build upon it as we get into chapter 4. And he'll do that by taking us back to the the forefather of the faith, Abraham. Abraham, that's chapter 4. But again, remember, it's not just about Abraham, it's about Abraham and his faith. And he's going to demonstrate that this has always been God's way. Men have always been justified by faith alone and nothing else. It's not a new idea. Not with God. It has always been by faith and nothing else. So we'll begin to look at that next week. But right now, we're stepping into Romans chapter 3, 27 through 41, actually finish, finishing up this chapter. We're going to close it out, and it'll kind of lead us right into chapter 4, okay? So let's do that. Romans chapter 3, verse 27, beginning there. Follow along with me in your Bibles. Then Paul says, what becomes of our boasting? 
What becomes of it? Paul says it is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, come on, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means! On the contrary, we uphold the law. All right, beloved, so inside of your bulletins, there's an outline. I invite you to follow along there. We're going to simply consider three implications, three implications of faith as the sole means, the only means of justification. So we're just going to take a look at that doctrine and say, okay, if that is true, and it is, then what else is true connected with that truth, okay? And we're going to do that so that you and I as Christians might better understand our salvation. Can I just tell you something? Our salvation is so incredible. You could, you could explore our salvation until you die, and I don't think you'll ever reach the depths of its wonders. It is much more, and I've said this before, it is much more than Jesus died for my sins. It is that, and that is a glorious statement. But now as you begin to unfold that statement, as you begin to open it up and understand all that that means, it's incredible. And that's what Paul is doing. He's kind of opening up to us the gospel in all of its fullness. And we're getting to see all the different brilliant aspects of the gospel, okay? And as the gospel becomes more familiar to you and you understand it to greater depths, it will have an impact on your life. It'll transform you. It'll motivate you to want to share this gospel as was talked about this morning with others who are lost and have no hope. So let's look at this here. We're going to consider three implications. First, boasting is excluded. They're simple. Second, distinctions are abolished. Third, the law is upheld. Okay. Now, Paul's question in verse 27, you can look back at the text, then what becomes of our boasting? Does that just come out of nowhere? I mean, he's just kind of going along and all of a sudden, hey, what becomes of our boasting? No, it's in a context, right? There's other stuff there. It's related to the section before this one. You've got to remember that. It's always important to read stuff in its context. And so it's related to the things that Paul has already said that prompts him to ask this question. Well, what then becomes of our boasting? Do you understand? So, for instance, in verse 23, where he says, these are the previous things he said, for all have sinned, listen, all have sinned, and all then fall short of the glory of God. We looked at that, verse 24, a couple weeks ago. And are justified, declared right with God, pronounced righteous by God, by His grace his unmerited favor as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a propitiatory sacrifice, a sacrifice that satisfied the wrath of God against sin. By his blood, Jesus did this. He gave up his very life, and all of that must be received by, to benefit from it, faith. Right? He says this. Faith! Faith! Then he says again in verse 26 that God is the justifier of the one who has what? Faith. 
faith in Jesus. These are the things Paul's been talking about. And if you go back a little bit farther into verse 20, Paul says this, For by works of the law, no human being, any exceptions, no human being will be justified in his sight, in God's sight. No one will be declared right in his sight through works of the law. Why? Since through the law, the law of Moses, his commands, all of these things, simply comes the knowledge of sin. The law shows you how bad you and I really are. So then what Paul is saying in verse 27 by raising this question is basically this. Listen, based on what I have just explained to you, based on all those things I have told you about the gospel, about Christ, about what he has done, about what God has done, and about how that is received through faith, that God justifies the one who has faith in Jesus, that it is impossible to be justified by the works of the law, for the law simply reveals how messed up you are. Since I have said all those things, then what becomes of our boasting? Well, Paul answers it. It's excluded. And that's the first point. Boasting is excluded. Boasting is excluded. Romans 3.27, look back at the text. Now that we've read the question in its context, we can make sense of it. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. In other words, when one considers the salvation of God, when one thinks about it rightly, when one thinks about the way, and the only way, by the way, in which God saves sinners, he only does it one way, beloved that he justifies them by faith alone in Christ alone. When they think about that, then they will understand that God's way, his divine method, leaves absolutely no room for human boasting. Not a bit. It is excluded. It is, you could understand the word this way, the Greek word, completely shut out. Completely shut out. You could say it this way, that on the, on the door that leads to heaven, on that door, there's a very large sign, and it says, no boasting allowed. No boasting allowed. Paul goes on to clarify what he means by this in verse 27. He's going to give you some clarifying remarks by adding these words. Look back at your text. Paul says, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. It is shut out. That's, you have to draw that conclusion. There is no other conclusion you can draw. Based on how God saves people, boasting is excluded. But then he adds, by what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by a law of faith. By a law of faith. Now, this statement can seem a little confusing, I think. It can sound a little confusing because he's throwing this word law around quite a few times. So what is he talking about? What exactly is he saying? Well, I've told you before that when Paul uses that word law, it typically, 
regularly refers to the law of Moses or the law that God gave to the nation of Israel through his servant Moses. Okay? That's what I've said before. So that would include the Ten Commandments that many of you are very familiar with. So normally that's what it refers to. It refers to that in Romans 2.23, where Paul says that the Jews boasted in this law. They boasted in it, Romans 2.23, but we know that they failed to keep it, okay, perfectly. And it's the same way that, it's the same way Paul uses the word in this section in verse 31. Look at it. He definitely is using that word this way to refer to the law of Moses where he says, do we overthrow this law by his faith? Same way. He's using it the same way that he has been in Romans. Now listen, this Greek word, N-O-M-O-S, nomos or nomos, something like that, translated law here in verse 27, it can also be used in a more general sense. In other words, not to refer specifically to the law of Moses, but it can, it can mean principle. Principle, which would just simply mean like an underlying law or assumption. An underlying law or assumption. This is the principle of the matter. An underlying law or assumption. It could also mean rule. Generally speaking, this Greek word can mean these things. Principle or rule. And I want to show you that we have a passage in Romans where we know without a doubt that is how Paul is using this Greek word. He doesn't typically use it this way, but he can. Romans 7.21. Romans 7.21. It's up on the screen. You can flip there. In your ESV, this is how it's translated. So I find it to be a nomos, law. Same word. That when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Right, that's going to be a great section when we get there, but I'm not going to talk about what that means right now. I just wanted to show you the passage that clearly Paul does not mean here. So I find it to be a law of Moses. He's not referring to the law of Moses. I find it to be a principle, an underlying assumption. I find it to be a rule that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Okay? And in fact, the New American Standard Bible just translates the word principle there. ESV continues to translate it law, but New American Standard Bible, same Greek word. They use principle because that's really what's going on. That's how it's being used. So I just wanted to show you that. Typically, most often, when Paul uses the word law, it is usually referring to the law, the commands of the law, these kind of things that the Jewish people were very familiar with, that they were given by God through the servant Moses, and this very law that they boasted in and thought that this law even made them right with God and their keeping of it. So taking that into consideration, that the law is typically used by Paul to refer to the law of Moses, as I have said, but it also can be used, or known, it was known to be used, and obviously here in Romans 7.21, in a more general way to mean principle or rule, taking all that into consideration, I like the NIV translation of this particular passage in Romans 3.27. I think they help clear it up a little bit, okay? And what you have going on really is Paul is playing on the word. He's making a play of, word, play of words, if you will. He's using law in two different ways, in two slightly different ways, one to be more specific and one to be general. And so I think it reads best this way, Romans 3.27, this is in the NIV now. Where then is boasting, it is excluded. On what principle? 
On what law? On what rule is it excluded? On that of observing the law? Now, law of Moses. Is that what it's based on? Is that how it's excluded, the boasting? By observing the law on that principle? No. But on the principle or the rule or law of faith. All right. In other words, boasting is not excluded, beloved, based on observing the law, the law of Moses, in order to be justified with God, since that would actually give someone grounds for boasting. Do you understand? It certainly is not excluded based on that principle. If we are justified before God by law-keeping, by observing the law, then would you and I not have a right to boast? Hmm? We would. I am here before God. I am allowed into His heaven because I have done something. I have kept His law. And therefore, I have been declared right or even I am right with God. I'm not, I don't need to be declared right. I am right. Boast, boast, boast. So there's no way. It's justification by law-keeping because that would be fertile grounds for human beings to boast before God. But God has not designed it that way. Rather, it is excluded on the principle or rule that we are justified strictly by faith alone. By faith alone, completely apart from the law or law-keeping or works of the law. Excluded is boasting because we are justified by God, not through law-keeping, but through faith alone. Faith. Something we do? No. Just accepting what Christ has done. Just accepting the gift. Can you boast in that? Can you boast in accepting a gift? You cannot. You just accepted it. You didn't do anything to earn it. You didn't buy it. You did nothing. God did it all. Boasting is excluded based on the principle of the law of faith. And that is exactly, by the way, in case you, you, know, you miss it, that's exactly what Paul says in Romans 3.28. He's really just getting right at the same thing. So right after he says that, look back at your text. Look back at your Bibles. For we hold, we maintain, we're not letting go of this. We're going to continue to teach this and preach this, that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And when you understand that, and you get that, now you know why Luther added the word alone. By faith alone. Just for emphasis. Just because he wanted to be really clear. And also because I think he had uh, beef with the Catholic Church. He did. And he wanted to drive this home. It's not faith plus works. It's not faith plus obedience to some church system. It's none of that. It is faith alone that God saves. Why? So that boasting is absolutely excluded. And beloved, that was for many of the Jews, for many of them who boasted in the law, who boasted in, in the keeping of the law, in their obedience, in their observance of the law, who were boasting in these things, 
For them, this doctrine, justification by faith alone, was a very hard pill for them to swallow, to accept. And it is apparent that it remains difficult, by the way, for many people today to fully accept it. It still remains difficult. How do I know that? Because when, I told you this before, when I talk to people and I say, if you were standing before God and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And what do they do? Typically, they go to the law. Well, I don't, I'm not a liar. I'm not a thief. I don't kill people. Wait. Are you trying? Are you attempting to be justified before God through law keeping? Because that's not God's means of salvation. That's not how he saves anybody. See, the answer, the right answer, right, is what will you say to God when he says to you, why should I let you into my heaven? (laughs) He shouldn't. But I have placed my faith in Christ. Therefore, he will. There's no boasting in that. There's no boasting. God's way to justify sinners by faith alone, that is his way, because really, beloved, that's the only way that a sinner could be made right with God. It has to be this way. There is no other way. Because my, even if it was through law-keeping, I'd be in trouble if that was the way it works. Because God's requirement is not 50%, 60%, 90%, like anybody could even reach that number. It's 100% completion, perfection, keeping of the law that would justify a sinner before God. And in that case, they wouldn't even be a sinner, right? They'd be a righteous, perfectly righteous person if they could keep the law perfectly. I only know of one man who ever did it. We sang about him this morning over and over again. One guiltless man. His name was Jesus the Christ. Just one. No other. The law simply serves to reveal how messed up we are. This is why Paul said this. Listen, then you start to, when you get this, when you see this, you begin to understand Paul, the way he speaks. Why does he say the things he says? He says this in Galatians 6.14. But far be it from me. This is the apostle Paul. He was a Jew above all Jews. He met, you know, if you want to line them up, Paul was at the top of his law-keeping before he got converted, before he gave his life to Christ. And he says this, if any man had the right to boast, and no one does before God, but if any man could, it's silly even to speak this way, it would be Paul. And what does this man say? But far be it from me to boast, except in, except in, and here it is, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I'm going to boast about. That is what I'm going to point to. Not myself. I'm boasting in the cross because it is through that cross and my faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done that I am justified before God and that alone. Therefore, that is my boast before God. I boast in that. Now here's something to think about in light of that. Based on the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Christians then, Christians, are there a few here? 
Yes, all right, good. For you and me, I'm believing myself to be a Christian as well, we should, based on this doctrine, be characterized, beloved, characterized by humility. Humility before God? Certainly. And even humility with one another. That should characterize us. Why? Because we understand. We understand some things about how it was we were saved. And we know that none of us can save ourselves. None of us can bring about our own salvation. None of us can get to God or get to heaven based on our own merit. Instead, beloved, every sinner, listen, every sinner is made right with God and this is important too, and kept right with God, okay? I've said this before, but you've got to just keep saying it because people get confused. They, they get sidetracked. Faith in Christ, not only that is the mechanism that God uses to make us right with Him, it's the same mechanism He continues to use to keep us right with Him. People get confused. They think, all right, I've had faith in Jesus. Now... I'll spend the rest of my life trying to make myself right with God. You can't. You can't, beloved. You'll never be able to. You now continue to have faith in Jesus. It starts with faith. It continues with faith. It's always faith. And beloved, we, all of us, every single one of us, are kept right with God and made right with God, guess what? In exactly the same way. Every single one of us. It's not through anything that we have done or will do. It's not through our imperfect obedience to God. It's not through our futile attempts to be justified in His sight. But rather, it is through continual faith alone in Christ alone and what He has done and has accomplished on our behalf, period. Our motto should be, this should be our motto, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That should be our motto. That should be what we live by. Boasting is excluded. Number two, distinctions are abolished. Distinctions are abolished. All right, well, let's look at this. Romans 3, this is 29 through 30. Paul says this, Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. How does he justify these two groups differently? Faith. Okay, so what is Paul getting at? What is he trying to say here? Well, I think the basic idea, I'm going to give you the basic idea that I believe Paul is communicating is the fact that there is only one true God. There's only one. There's not many. And as the one true God, he is necessarily then over all people, okay? He's not over some... If he is the one true God and there's only one, then he's over all people. There's not a God for the Gentiles and a God for the Jews, or a God for this group or a God for that group, but he's over all people as the one true God, both Jews and Gentiles, and the one true God has provided one way for any person in the world, in his world, to be made right with him, to be justified in his sight. 
And guess what? It is a way that truly can be for all people. It's a way that truly can be for all people. And that one way is through faith alone and nothing else. And so God justifies a person by faith in Jesus Christ regardless of who they are or their background or their ethnicity or any other distinctions like being circumcised or uncircumcised, which was a reference to being a Jew or a Gentile. The Jews were circumcised, the Gentiles were not. And he justifies them by faith alone, regardless of distinctions, because none of that matters, beloved, when it comes to salvation, because a person is justified by faith and only by faith, regardless of their distinctions. Now listen, this teaching of Paul's would have been especially important for the Jews who wrongly thought, remember the historical context, who wrongly thought that circumcision, that right or religious practice that was actually given to them by God. This was given to them by God to be a sign of His covenant with them. You can read about that in Genesis 17. And it certainly made them different on one level and set them apart from the Gentiles. They would refer to the Gentiles as the uncircumcised, and they would refer to themselves as the circumcised. But their mistake was they thought this distinction made them right with God. (laughs) Instead of understanding it was faith alone that made a person right with God, whether it whether it whether wow, whether it be Jew or Gentile. Something going on up here with the whole stuff. Wes started it this morning and now I gotta get it, clean it off. And, beloved, you can see from the Scriptures that this was a serious problem in the early church. They struggled with this, with their distinctions, and accepting the fact that in Christ, through faith, through this doctrine, all distinctions are abolished. Let me, I'm going to prove it to you, okay? You ready? Turn in your Bibles to Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, or just turn back from Romans to the left. And you'll find Acts. And turn there to chapter 14. I'm going to begin in verse verse 25. And I'm read this quickly. So Paul, Barnabas, they're on a preaching campaign. This is their mission. They're, they're doing that work. They're making disciples, okay? They're fulfilling the Great Commission that Wes talked about this morning which I really do believe is absolutely the fundamental purpose of the church. Couldn't agree more. They're doing it. They're glorifying. They're bringing glory to God as sinners are putting their faith in Christ. And just let's going to pick up the story in verse 25. And when they, Paul, Barnabas, had spoken the word, the word, what is that? The message of Christ. They're speaking the gospel. That's what they're doing. When they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Adalia, and from there they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. What work? The work of preaching the gospel. This is awesome. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he opened a door. I love this. See, it's always God, what God had done with them, that God opened the door. It's always the focus is on God. That's the right focus. He opened the door of faith. He opened it wide to who? The Gentiles. You got to understand how crazy this is. I mean, 
You have the Jews, the people of God, the chosen people of God, and you have those worthless, disgusting Gentiles and with their gods and everything else, and there was this big divide between the two, and they should never even cross one another. That was the, that was the structure back then. Oh my goodness, do you see what God has done? He's opened wide the door of faith to these guys. Listen. And they remained no little time with the disciples. They were there. They spent some time there. But some men, some men, verse 1, chapter 15, came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, quote, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, according to the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Did you hear that? Wow. Can you imagine that message? So I I thought I was saved as a Gentile because I placed my faith in Jesus Christ, but that's obviously not enough. I guess I have to be circumcised. I guess I have to become a Jew, is basically what they're saying. Or you are out. Listen. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, that's an understatement. This was not a small argument. This was big. No small dissension and debate with them. This is huge. This is serious. This is foundational. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the, uh, to the apostles, the other apostles, and the elders about this question. What question? Do the Gentiles have to be circumcised in order to be saved? Do they have to become one of us? So being sent on their way by the church, by the way, Paul knew the answer already. All right? It's not like Paul's going, well, maybe that's true. No way. Paul knows the gospel. Jesus gave him the gospel. He knows that's not true. He's going to correct this error. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and it brought great joy to all the brothers. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. What a, that would have been so cool to be there. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees now, now understand, so these are believers, but they have this pharmaceutical background, law keepers, so on and so forth. They're still wrestling with this whole thing. Justification by faith alone? Oh, is that right? They rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and order them to keep the law of Moses. Really? The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter, and after there had been much debate, Peter stood up, and he said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days, of God, early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, he bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. I would love to spend some time on that, because how do they know that the Holy Spirit was given to them? Well, there was an outbreak of this speaking in tongues, beloved, but not like you think about today that's still going on in some places. God gave that gift Listen, he gave that gift because this would be so huge to demonstrate that he is accepting the Gentiles fully and completely because how could any Jew deny that? 
When on the day of Pentecost, they broke out in tongues. It was a, they spoke a language they did not know, but it was a real language because everyone there heard them speaking the glories of God in their own language, not some mysterious, nobody knows what this is. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. And now, when, when the Jews go and they're preaching the gospel, these Gentiles bust out in the same thing, which demonstrates the Holy Spirit that was there with them on the Jews is also there with them and the Gentiles. And now what can they do? They must accept what God has done. It's evidence. It was a way of identifying the doors open wide to the Gentiles. What goes on today in the name of speaking in tongues is an entirely different matter. Anyway, we can talk more about that, but let's just move on. He made, so he says, he gave them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. How did they know that? Because these things happened. Just as he did to us at Pentecost, these same things happened to them. And look at verse 9. And he, who's that? God, made no distinction. This would be like groundbreaking stuff. He made no distinction. The Jews have been making distinctions for Lots of years between them and the Gentiles. But God has made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. By faith. By getting circumcised? By law-keeping? No, by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? He's referring to the law. You really, you want to put them back under the law? Is that what you want to do? We can't keep the law either. But we believe, here it is, verse 11, that we, who's he talking about? The Jews. That's the context. We, the Jews, will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. No distinction. Justification by faith alone. Faith cuts through all these distinctions. Gone! Abolished. One writer says this, and he's talking about this idea of justification by faith alone, that the distinctions are removed. He says this, listen, this is like an application of this. He says, this identical truth applies to all other distinctions, all of them, whether of race, nationality, class, sex, or age. And then he says, not that all such distinctions are actually obliterated, done away with completely, for men remain men, right? Just because we believe in justification by faith doesn't mean there's no men and no women. Men remain men, women remain women, Jews are still circumcised, and Gentiles uncircumcised, at least back then in the context, are skid our skin pigmentation does not change, right? We believe in justification by faith, but we don't all become one color. And we still have the same passport, meaning that we still come from different places. Those distinctions are still there, but those continuing distinctions are rendered of no significant account in light of justification by faith alone. Do you understand that? Oh, we want to we make something of those distinctions? Not in the church. It shouldn't be so. Because every person 
comes to Christ the exactly same way, and it is open to every person because every person is justified in only one way, through faith alone, which is made available to all people, regardless of their background, regardless of whether they're circumcised or uncircumcised, regardless if they're Jew or Gentile or black or white or old or young or male or female. You see? That's why the church, man, I wish I had more time and I'm already out and you know that. But that's why the church is such a, a unique thing. Look around, guys. You and I are not gathered together here based on color. The color of our skin, are we? Because then you guys are confused. <laughs> color blind. That's great. I hope you are color blind. We're not gathered together here based on where we came from, are we? That's not what brought us together. We're not gathered together based on age. How about education? How about financial levels? Poor, rich. Is that, why we're, is that what has brought us together? You know what cuts across all that nonsense? Faith in Jesus Christ alone. That is what has brought us together. People look at that and they go, what is that? I don't understand. Why do you guys gather together? Why do you love on one another? It doesn't make sense. Oh, it does. It does. We come together at the cross of Jesus Christ. That is what unites every single one of us. And that unity is greater than anything else. You see? That, when you get to Revelation, you see, oh, there's a myriad. There's a number I can't even count from every tribe from every tongue, from every nation, praising God. And every single one of them have been justified by faith alone. You see? Ooh, I love this. I love our salvation. One last one real quick, I promise. I shouldn't have done that because I might break it. I'm going to try to go fast. The law is upheld. Forgive me, brothers and sisters. The law is upheld, Romans 3.31. We're going to do this one quick. The law is upheld. Boasting is excluded. Distinctions are abolished, all because of justification by faith alone. And the law is upheld. Paul says this, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? What faith? This faith he's been talking about. This faith in Christ. This faith that justifies us. Do we overthrow the law then? And what does he say? He answers his own own questions. He does this all the time in Romans. He raises his own questions and then he gives the answer. By no means. On the contrary. Opposite of that, we uphold the law. Okay, all right. The ESV uses the English word overthrow here. Overthrow, as you can see, for the original Greek word that's in the text. It also translates that, I'm just trying to help you with this. It also translates, because what does that mean, overthrow? Well, it also translates that same Greek word in 1 Corinthians 128. You can write it down if you want and check it out later. That same Greek word there in the ESV is translated bring to nothing. Bring to nothing, okay? Overthrow. Bring to nothing. Other translations of the Bible, such as the New American Standard Bible, they translate that Greek word that you see there, overthrow. They translate it nullify. Do we then nullify the law through faith? Nullify, overthrow, bring to nothing. They're all getting at the same idea. The idea behind the question Paul raises and answers is if God justifies people by faith apart from the law, if that's what he does, apart from law-keeping or observing the law, and he most certainly does, 
then does that invalidate the law of God? Does that invalidate the law? Are we invalidating the law of God by believing in justification by faith alone? Does that bring the law to nothing? Are we overthrowing the law? Are we declaring that the law of God is absolutely useless? Are we making it useless? And Paul says, by no means, no way, absolutely not. That's what he says, okay? So just know that. We know that so far, right? Is that not clear? So we don't overthrow the law through justification by faith alone. We don't. On the contrary, he says, we, we hold to the doctrine that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. We who hold that, we actually uphold the law. So we who maintain or hold on to this idea of justification by faith alone, we uphold the law. We don't nullify it. We don't overthrow it. Okay, so Paul makes this rather short statement here right at the end. And then he doesn't tell us what it means. You see in verse 32. He just says, we, I, know, I know, here's what I know. I know that we don't overthrow it. But what is that? How do, we, how do we uphold it? I know we don't nullify it, but how do we uphold it? He doesn't explain. And so Bible commentators have offered up several suggestions or ideas based on thorough study, of what they think Paul could be communicating in this sense right here, right now. This is what he's thinking. Let me do this. I don't want to give you all that. I just want to, after looking through all that, I'm going to give you what I think makes the most sense in light of the immediate context, okay? All right? And it's pretty heavy. It's pretty heavy. Get your mind around. Here it is. We'll try it. The law, God's law, It's upheld by those who hold to justification by faith in the sense that their faith in Christ completely satisfies, upholds the law's demands or the demands of the law. It completely upholds them. How is that? How how does that work? Because, listen, beloved, it is Christ who becomes the sinner's substitute through faith, who took the full penalty for their sin on the cross that God's law demands, which makes it possible then for God to be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Do we overthrow the law by this faith? No. On contrary, we uphold it, for by it, the righteous demands of the law have been met in Christ. He met them. He suffered in our place. He bore the full penalty that the law demanded. Therefore, we uphold the law through this doctrine of justification by faith alone. There is only one way that sinners can be saved, beloved. Listen, there is only one way we can be saved, and at the same time, God's righteous law upheld. This is it. There's only one way. And it is through faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ, who on our behalf 
fully satisfied the demands of the law of God by dying in our place. That's amazing. Do we overthrow the law? By no means. We uphold it because Christ fulfilled every single one of its demands and that is what we believe. And we know by that we can be made right with God and he can be just in justifying us righteously and his law is upheld. Is that amazing? That's amazing. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we have a great, great salvation and that's the biggest understatement I could, I could make. Father, I just pray. Time has gone long. I just pray you would continue to work inside of our hearts and our minds that we would, wow, we would glory. <laughs> we would glory in it. We would see how rich it is, how masterful you are, how wise you are, how perfect you are to, to create this plan, to, to have this plan by which you would save sinners. And Father, would we see that because of that, wow, we have no reason to boast. Not just no reason, it's excluded, it's shut out. And so may we shut it out of our mouths, of our minds, May our only post be in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ who has made it possible for your law to be fulfilled, upheld, and yet at the same time declare us right with you. Save us. May that be our boast. And Father, may we see this great salvation as extending to all people. It's not for some. You don't have to do this or that or be this or that. You simply have to have faith trusting, believing in what Christ has done. That's amazing. And it brings all kinds of people, all different people together, unified around this one great truth that we are made right with you through your son, Jesus Christ, and his death on that cross. Glory to you, God. And it is in our Savior's name that I pray. Amen.